It is also my first pick of the week. Damn it. Hello, Marvelites. Welcome to a brand new episode of Marvel's Pull List. I'm Ryan Panacos, a.k.a. Agent M. And I'm Tucker Marcus. And on this episode, we are talking about the new comics on sale January 1st, 2020. Tucker, we've made it to 2020. How do you feel? This will, I believe, mark the two-year anniversary of this show. Oh, yeah. I think we started January 2018, which is pretty stunning. It's pretty cool. You know, 2020 is like, holds a special place in Marvel, but also in the real world, it really feels like a future year. How does that feel to you? Weird. Right? Definitely weird. We were, what was it, last week we were talking about really old books from the 1980s yes. and I was just like hurting inside <laughs> and now we're talking about 2020 and I remember growing and reading up there was like this book called 2020 Visions of like this far off right. future and it was like, well, here we are, or like Iron Man 2020. Right. Like, you know, look, there's going to be uh, gears and spokes and flying cars and I don't have a flying car yet. I'm feeling the conveyor belt of time more and more now. I feel like 27 was, you know, I'm not one to put much stock in age, but I'm like, that's an adult age. It's like people wouldn't bat an eye if I had a child, I feel like. You're going to have a kid? No. Is this, a, is this an announcement? <laughs> well, it, when, if you do have a kid soon, then you can grow up being friends with my daughter. It'd be oh, great. Yeah. 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 But look, <laughs> we are here to tell you all about Marvel Comics. If you are excited about the future of all things Marvel, whether it's on a screen or on a comic book page, this is the show for you. We're going to run them down and hope you uh, get excited about the books because we're excited about the books. Oh, yeah. Tucker, kick it off. All right. We're starting with Black Panther and the Agents of Wakanda. Number five. This is written by Jim Zub with pencils by Scott Eaton, inks by Sean Parsons, colors by Marcio Meniz and Eric Garciniega, and letters and production by VCs Joe Sabino. This issue has the live wires in it. Ryan, can you tell me about the Hold live on, wires? I'm just handling okay, live yep, wires. Yep, yep. I'm fine now. <laughs> what is your background or experience with the live wires? So I remember the live wires book coming out because it was different. Adam Warren, who has a very manga style as a career doing manga books or manga style books, created this Livewire's title that we published and it was these cool Android like super team. And they didn't they weren't like super huge, but it was it felt so different at the time in the early 2000s. And now seeing them pop up in the main Marvel universe again, touching base with this team. It just felt neat. Yeah. It was really cool. As with every new story arc of Black Panther and Agents of Wakanda, these are two-issue story arcs. Boom, boom, boom. It's fast moving. That's kind of what this strike team is all about. Also showing up in this issue, making his return to a dynamic with Black Panther that we saw in Black Panther versus Deadpool is Deadpool. Yeah. In case you couldn't tell by the title that I referenced. Yeah, which is awesome. It's yeah. great. Yeah, the Deadpool stuff in there is great. If you are excited about Daredevil... In his little tidy whities, then it is time to talk about Daredevil number 16, written by Chip Zdarsky, with art by Jorge Fornes, colors by Nolan Woodard, and letters by VCs Clayton Cowles. Second story page of this issue has Daredevil, just sexy, pouring coffee in a really nice apartment with a naked Electra in the bed, just drinking coffee. I mean... 
It's great. If there was like a betting on a phrase that I knew would be used in this episode of The Pullist, having read all the books, I would have put my money on Tidy Whities. Yeah. A million right? percent. Yeah. It looks great. He looks great. Jorge Fornes killing it. If you are familiar with, you know, the styles of like David Aha or Chris Samney or mm. like this detailed, very not quite gritty, but like realistic, minimalist, but at the same time, incredibly detailed styles. Yeah. Am I explaining it well yeah, enough? Yeah, yeah. No, because absolutely. Jorge it, does that so well in this the issue. Art, the art in this issue really, really stood out to me. It actually, it's funny, kind of in a way reminds me of Chip's art when Chip does art. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. Chip is a more like almost animation style. This right. is more gritty and cool and graphic design oriented, but it's more adventures of Daredevil. Well, I can't call him Daredevil. He's not Daredevil. It is Matt Murdock with Elektra trying to clean things up. That's right. Next up, we have Doctor Doom number four, which is written by Christopher Cantwell with art by Salvador LaRocca, colors by Guru EFX, and letters by VC's Corey Pettit. I am loving the layers that we're getting in this book because... You know, I think if you told someone there's a book called Dr. Doom, he's the main character, et cetera, et cetera, I think someone uninitiated would have in their mind an image of Latveria and palaces and royalty and kind of the austere qualities of Doom with also being like a total badass and all those things, everything that you would expect from a Dr. Doom book. Not only do we get all of that kind of awesome, classic, totally, totally badass Doom, but it's kind of in a setting, it's in a place, not just externally for the character, but internally for the character in a completely unexpected way. He's been forced to go underground a little bit, to go a little bit more guerrilla warfare. He is down and out in a bunch of ways, and uh, I think that's kind of, it's a perfect metaphor to like you know pushing a, a kind of like a dog into a corner is like when it's like most dangerous you know what I mean it's that kind of energy here where all of that all of the difficulty and hardship that this character is going through is is being manifested in in and it's coming out in in super tough really interesting ways with this character there is a moment in this book that I so did not see coming. Yeah. And it elevated this entire series for me, not in terms of quality, because this is such a great book, but in terms of, oh, not only is this gritty and cool and realistic and interesting and a deep dive on this character's psyche, but it's actually really doing something that are like joyful and fun and weird. It, it, it is a bunch of different things at the same time. How it's pulled off, I have no idea, but it just totally works. Yeah. This issue also has Doctor Doom versus Taskmaster, yeah. which is really cool. Everybody's excited about Taskmaster, whether it's because of Marvel's Avengers video game or it's Marvel Studios' Black Widow film or just in general because Taskmaster is one of the coolest designs of any villain we have yeah. and a cool character. That throwdown is real fun. And uh, yeah, real fun book. Next up, we have, hey, it's a new number uno. It is also my first pick of the week. It's Hawkeye Freefall number one. Ryan, you and I had the distinct honor of uh, helping announce this book back in uh, three months ago. So September. Time doesn't make (laughs) sense in my brain. It is brand new Hawkeye series. It's written by Matthew Rosenberg with art by Otto Schmidt. Letters by VCs Joe Sabino. And I want to give a special shout out to this 
awesome cover by Kim Jacinto and Tom Bonvillain. I've been looking at this cover a lot as we've been covering this upcoming book on the site and everything. It is just so dynamic. It's so cool. And of course, like, you know, it captures the the spirit, of I think, of Clint Barton in such a cool way. This is a book that, for me, I've been anticipating for a bunch of reasons, including the fact that Matt Rosenberg's five-issue run on Tales of Suspense, I believe that was Tales of Suspense number 101 to 105, from, I guess, a couple of years ago at this point, which included, you know, as one of the two main characters, Hawkeye, Clint Barton. That's one of my favorite limited series over the past few years. I just adored it. I love the way that Matt writes this character, and I think it's a character that Matt was kind of born to write. And right from the off, we get into that spirit. It's this adventurous spirit. It is irreverent. It's hilarious. We're kind of guided along the way, narrated by Clint. A running kind of gag in this first issue is the settings of like where each scene takes place. The first one is, quote, one of New York's many sketchy warehouses, which is if you live in and around New York, hits home. And it's just a really, really funny little note. The next one is like later the most boring place in New York City, lower Manhattan. Uh, <laughs> well, I love how this goes around all the, the boroughs exactly. and neighborhoods and it opens in my neighborhood, which is fun. One of our listeners messaged me on Twitter who also lives close to me and when we pointed out like one of our books taking place up by Fort Tryon Park he was like oh man that's right but I get I love that like I get that charge it helps that we live in New York City so Mm -hmm. we're gonna see our neighborhoods (laughs) represented but it's just fun and I mean Matt is a native New Yorker so he's just like oh walking around the city like I should put that in a book is that (laughs) a good Matt impression that's great great so all of that the narrative is so engaging it's so fun it's relentless it's kind of bubbling it's just a really joyous read but I also want to say Otto Schmidt man what an issue he is not holding back right from the start it is a great arrival for Otto for me um, with this major series issue number one I just think that the casting on this book is so perfect because there's something about Otto's acting in here there's something about the way he draws action scenes that just fits the way Clint moves so well and I think that's a testament to his skill obviously that's not an innate thing that Otto Schmidt was like oh he's the Hawkeye guy it's just that he's so good that he captures it perfectly. I hope this makes sense. In my head, there's an elasticity to the action. It feels like, yeah. you know, like stretchy rubber band, like, ooh. And then when it hits, it's like, you yeah. feel the meat hitting. It like has this, ugh, like really thick, wet sounding <laughs> punch that you can almost like feel as you read the, the book. Yeah, no, I uh, completely, that was, again, words I knew I would hear in this in this episode. Meat slapping noises. Yep. That's what I thought. You knew it was coming. Yeah. A- anyway, this is this is such a good start uh, to this book. I'm really, really excited about yeah, it. Yeah. If you are excited about anything Hawkeye, yeah. if you like Winter Soldier and Falcon, mm-hmm. uh, the pair of them together, them interacting with Hawkeye, like this is a book you're going to eat up and you're going to love. Make sure this one is definitely on your pull list. Up next is Marauders number five, written by Jerry Duggan, with art by Matteo Loli and Lucas Wernick, colors by Federico Blee, letters by VCs Corey Pettit, and designed by Tom Muller and John Hickman. You know, there's a one moment in here that is, I think, going to stick with me. It's a conversation between Kate Pride and Emma Frost. 
And it's this, you know, like little bit of back and forth of them talking because they are now more closely aligned and intertwined in their dealings on Krakoa with the Hellfire Trading Company and with their roles um, on as like members of the council. And their history goes back so deep, literally to their first appearances being in the same issue or around the same time. And Kate brings up is like, imagine if I went to your academy, because that was a choice. She was approached by both Emma Frost and Professor Xavier at the same time. And I love that idea. And they have this conversation and this sort of beautiful moment of friendship. And like, we've moved past all that other nonsense and look at us now. And it was so cool. I love the hell out of that. I think Jerry wrote that scene so pitch perfectly. I couldn't have asked for anything better. Yeah, I think it in a way is oddly tied to Kate Pride going by Kate instead of Kitty yeah. in a way where it's just like, this is this is we're getting such an amazing like mature version of this character and yeah I that was a really special scene not just in this book or this series for me like that was a special scene in all of Dawn of X so far for me just because it carried the weight of everything that's come before but it really feels like a new beginning it really feels new such an interesting dynamic there's so much at play there but yeah I just love how that's all tied in and then in this issue we really start to explore a sort of new antagonist group for mutant kind, which they're calling themselves Homines Verendi. Is that you? You speak Latin, right? Yeah. Homines Verendi. Ho- homines. Yeah, sure. Sure. I don't great. know what that means. Did you look it up? Yes, Tucker. Of course, I looked it up. <laughs> it, it really is a loose translation of superior mankind, mm. a, a group of, and makes sense here, uh, humans who believe themselves to be superior to mutants. Yes, and as you say that, I just threw that into uh, the old Google Translate. Yeah. And it told me gowns. Oh, <laughs> so it also means really fancy clothing. Yeah, great. I guess both. <laughs> but what, what I like about it is these are the kids who were, for a short period of time, a new version of the Hellfire Club in the Wolverine and the X-Men series that Jason Aaron wrote. But they are straight up racist, anti-mutant, billionaire children. That is terrifying. Yeah. You have 10-year-olds with billions of dollars and a hatred for a certain group of people. That is something tangibly frightening. Yeah. And what they are starting to put into play here is really cool. The last page of this book has two just straight up evil grossies yeah. that uh, it's, it's great to see back in the pages of Marvel Comics, but still, blah, yeah. blah. Yeah, yeah. All right. Up next is Miles Morales Spider-Man issue number 14, written by Saladin Ahmed with art by Ray Anthony Height in one segment, Zay Carlos in another, and Belen Ortega in another. Uh, David Curiel doing colors. Shout out to David Curiel, one of the uh, most picked oh, yeah. colorists. Yeah. We're going to keep that up for 2020, and we're going to see. David, all right, you got to get back into that double-digit picking <laughs> route. Um, this issue is real cool, though, because we get to see Miles doing a little sneaky, sneaky bit. Mm -hmm. There's a sequence in here which reminded me of Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse where Spidey is, he's like chasing some people, he's going down, he uh, swings into a cemetery and he like kneels down and he puts his head in his hand like he's thinking and it reminds me of that that shot with Peter and Miles from Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. I like that. I like that vibe, that sense of not mischief, but like, getting in some action. Yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's really fun. But Miles is here and he's trying to 
figure out what the hell is going on with Ultimatum. And at the same time, he lost his journal. And I've never written in a journal, but I imagine that would be horrifying. Oh, yeah. Because you're you're leaving you're laying bare all your feelings, your thoughts, whatever it is, and someone could find it. What do you do? Yeah, yeah. If you've been reading this series, this is the issue where I feel like it's starting to kick on to the next level because that's been brewing for a long time. It's really cool to start seeing that move. Okay, next up we have Punisher Soviet number three. It's written by Garth Ennis with pencils by Jason Burroughs, inks by Guillermo Ortego, colors by Nolan Woodard, and letters by Rob Steen. And kudos to that entire art team for executing the crazy, twisted, messed up, disgusting vision of the master of Punisher, the master writer, Garth Ennis, because, man, some of the stuff in this issue is so intense. Definitely not for young readers. We do have a book that we're about to, probably the biggest, like, uh, gonna get, like, hurt your neck, so, like, flying from one side to the other in terms of tonal shift from my book here to your next book. But, look, if you're a Punisher fan, if you're a fan of these kind of, like, kind of thoughtful take mixed with absolutely wild action and um, really kind of some twisted, crazy visuals, then this one's for you. Heck yeah. Our next book, as you teed up, is Spider-Man and Venom, Double Trouble, issue number three. I love this series. I love this book. It is written by Mariko Tamaki, art by Gurihiru, letters by VCs Travis Lanham. Very nearly one of my picks of the week. It was like a super strong week. It just got edged out, but I posted this on Twitter too. There's a scene in here of Spider-Man who, in this storyline... He and Venom have switched bodies. So Venom is currently inside Spider-Man's body and vice versa. They are also roommates and they are also like at odds with each other. It is wacky, madcap fun. But Venom has gone to a commercial shoot that Spider-Man is is supposed Mm -hmm. to be. So it's Venom and Spider-Man's body for this men's body deodorant spray. A giant anthropomorphic deodorant spray bottle is like showcasing Spider-Man. And he says, mm fresh. I, Spider-Man, fully endorse this body spray for heroes. It is bodysuit friendly and it is terrible for the environment. And it's just wacky, super funny. It is gorgeous. It's, uh, it's, it's just bonkers silly in the best way possible. It's a book that you as an adult will enjoy it. There's lots of jokes and fun stuff. If you have a, like, a child that you want to read comics, this is the book that's going to make them go, Oh, I love comic books. Oh, yeah. And also, there's another switcheroo right at the end, which I will not spoil, and it is even better. Yeah. We recently had our fun kind of holiday get-together around here, and I was chatting with nicest person in the world, Danny Kazem, who is one of the editors on that book, alongside, mm-hmm. I think, uh, David Lewis. But they also work on Venom. They also work on Daredevil. This is what I was talking to they Danny. They also work on Absolute Carnage. Right, exactly. So this is what I was talking to Danny about, and I was like, I'm just so impressed that these people are shepherding these stories so diverse in terms of their scope, in terms of what they're aiming to do, in terms of the audiences they're aiming for, but do them so, so well. Exactly to your point, this series has been so much fun and everything that's something that a book like this can be. And then you have something like Absolute Carnage, which is like one of the landmark events of last year. And that kind of range of skill sets is just so impressive to me. I love it so much. Uh, Okay. Hold on to your butts, folks, because we have my second pick of the week, Star Wars 
number one. It's written by Charles Soule with art by Jesus Saiz, colors by Jesus Saiz and Arif Prianto, and letters by VCs Clayton Cowles. Shout out to assistant editor Tom Groneman and editor Mark Paniccia, who are in charge of all things Star Wars around here, simply because I'm walking in there and bugging them about Star Wars stuff all the time. This is a really landmark issue in all of Marvel Star Wars to date, going back to 2015 when the first volume of Star Wars started, brought to you by Jason Aaron and John Cassidy, because that story and so many other Star Wars books that have been brought to you by the House of Ideas to this point took place after the events of episode four. It's kind of bridging the gap between episode four and Empire Strikes Back. And this is the first issue that we get after all of the revelations and legendary action in episode five. So we're getting Luke now having trained under Yoda. We're getting Luke after the revelation or questions that now emerge after Darth Vader tells him he's his father. We have Han Solo is not in the book. He's off frozen in carbonite. And in his place, we have Lando Calrissian, which is so cool. I love inviting him into the crew and seeing that new dynamic emerge here. You know, I don't think there is a more fascinating time out there in all of Star Wars than this moment right here. It's something that I think has been lost to the sands of time of like after May 1980, it wasn't like the world left the movie theater there and was like, oh, Darth Vader is Luke's father. That is the fact that is the case. People really didn't know still. They thought... Is this a fake out? Is he trying to psych him out? Is this the truth? Is he lying to him? Is like there are so many questions that were up in the air that were later solidified and given answers, direct answers to. I mean, confirmed, obviously, in that case. But getting to explore that area of like this is a thing, maybe, maybe it's not. Maybe he's playing mind games. There's so much to mine here. And the way that Charles Hull does it is so thoughtful. And it is such an amazing mix of these really, really quiet, challenging moments for someone like Luke Skywalker in this issue with some absolutely bonkers action. Because we have these moments where Luke, obviously having just been rescued from you know the wire work underneath Cloud City, just lost his hand, all of that stuff, uh, he's reeling after these revelations. And we get these amazing moments inside Luke's head at times, thinking back to things, getting his thoughts on all that's going on. And then we have the rest of the crew in the Falcon kind of scrambling onto the next mission. The art by Jesus Saiz is absolutely pitch perfect for me for Star Wars because in past Star Wars comics, we've seen art styles that directly essentially are inspired by actors' likenesses and, and are going directly for that look. Salvador LaRocca did a bunch of that kind of stuff, which is great. And then we have something like the most recent arc of Star Wars, the flagship series with art by Phil Noto, which is a completely other different style. What I think Jesus Saiz does here, though, is, is kind of perfectly in the middle because he, by nature, has this more photorealistic look to his art. But he also has this painterly style. Some of the colors that you can tell he's doing, Arif Priantu is also contributing to colors, like I mentioned. But when you have that perfect mix of the pencils with the colors, it's all brought together. It feels like it's these characters. It's it's the actors that have brought them to life so famously. You can really feel that in that way. But it's also 
perfect for a comic. You know, it also lives beautifully in this medium. There's a an imperial commander in this issue yeah. who I was like, oh, I can't remember where I've seen her before. And so I went to Wikipedia and I was looking, I'm mm-hmm. like, wait, this is her first appearance. She felt like such, like I, I, I was sure that she was in a movie or something else, but this is her first appearance in this book. She felt so perfectly realized as a Star Wars character in my head that I was like, I think that to me, that's like the ultimate compliment I can give to what they're doing here is they are tricking me into seeing things that I thought already I've seen just because they're doing them so well. Yeah, I think I, I literally had the same exact experience and it really elevates Charles Soule to a different level for me, especially when it comes to Star Wars work. We've seen him do incredible stuff across the Marvel Universe, Daredevil, etc. You know, so many different amazing things. But to see him go to town in Star Wars, and you can re- you really feel essentially with this issue that like, okay, he wrote an amazing run on Darth Vader that I adored. He's kind of been in the Star Wars land, at least. He's For me, it feels like he's been in hibernation, like he's just been storing his energy, getting ready for this moment. Now it's just all been unleashed, and you could feel the expert storytelling power and all of that weight behind everything, every choice, every little movement and moment in this issue. So good. Jesus Saiz bringing it. So pumped for this series. Hell yeah. Yeah. All right, up next is Sword Master, issue number seven, written by Shusu with art by Gunji and, and an adaptation by Amy Chu. The thing about this book is that it reminds me of just really fun comedy action manga. I read a lot of One Piece, and it, it mixes those moments of high intense action, and they like cut it with just laugh out loud moments and then also the drama and I think that's what Swordmaster does yeah. it hits all those beats and you're you're bouncing around with this character who feels very marvel he has this sword that's tied to his history and is you know lots of questions and sacrifice and all this other stuff but at the same time it's just like it's madcap oh yeah that's fun yeah exactly a book that I was very interested to open up and was very gratified to read is Tarot number 1 uh, it's written by Alan Davis with art by Paul Renaud, colors by Paul Mounts, and letters by VCs Clayton Cowles. This is an Avengers a Defenders story, which is really awesome and kind of inspired by that, inspired by this old school 1970s Defenders lineup, the Marvel No Team. And why I said I was so gratified to read it and it was so much fun is because for only, I don't know, a week, I guess, two weeks there has been an invader-sized hole in my heart. In that old-school kind of like throwback look into like the history of Marvel Universe, or at least in inspiration kind of story. And this picks up perfectly in that way. It also has, so it has Avengers stuff, kind of classic 70s-inspired tale. It has Defender stuff with that original team lineup. It's brought to you by Alan Davis, obviously a Marvel legend, Paul Renaud, killing it on art. There are so many different elements at play here that work so beautifully, including for me, some like uh, certain Raiders of the Lost Ark vibes in here. Yeah. Given some of the villains that are going up against and specifically given the mystical elements at play in this story, which were really, really fun. It's a crazy mashup of a bunch of different things, but it works Beautifully, When you have the creative team that's on this book, there's kind of almost no way they could go wrong because they're such expert players. And uh, yeah, that's exactly what you get. Tucker, 
Picture, yes. if you will, you were a superhero yes. with the power to remove your teeth. Your teeth would then charge up and explode yeah. if you threw them at people. And your teeth would grow back, naturally. You were the superhero. You were invited to join both this group of defenders uh -huh. and this group of Avengers. Yeah. Which team do you go with? Oh, man. I... You know, I can't I can't run away from my gut instinct, which says defenders. I think they're a little bit. It fits more with the character. Yeah, yep. yeah, they're a little bit, you know, more kind of on the fringes in certain ways and stuff like that. Yeah, I think they could use that. Yeah. You know, the Hulk could use that help. Sure. Yeah, <laughs> Hulk always needs help. That's what yeah. they say. Help neediest one there yes, is for sure. Uh, all right, <laughs> it's time for my first pick of the week. It is. Thor. <laughs> Thor, number one. This is the first part of the Devour King. And is, the issue is called The Black Winter. Donny Cates, the writer of this book, gets to have three friggin' titles <laughs> for this book. Thor, The Devourer King, The Black Winter. That's a colon yep. and then a dash. Oh, Star Wars right? style. Yep. Yeah. Of course, Donny Cates wrote it. Nick Klein is your artist. Matthew Wilson is the colorist. VCs Joe Sabino is your letterer and designer. Man alive. This is a humdinger. Yeah. I will be honest. The recent series of Thor that we wrapped up, Seven Years of Jason Aaron's Thor, is up there among my favorite runs of comics of all time. Yeah. Maybe my favorite. So to follow that is a tremendous challenge. And I think Donnie un fully understood that. Coming up with a story, pitching it, and then actually jumping off of what Jason Aaron had set up with Thor as the king of Asgard now. He's the all-father. He's trying to bring peace to all the realms. It opens with this really great sequence, giving you a quick tour of the realms as seen by Mjolnir as it's going through. Mm -hmm. And it has a funny punctuation of the, the hammer is actually going to a destination to smite something. Thor just simply didn't get off his ass. <laughs> he just threw it. Uh, and it has a great moment with the Avengers. But then you get to see that this Thor here is a Thor that feels the weight of the crown that sits uneasily in the on the throne, which is cool. It is not the same Thor that we've seen the last couple of years. Not to say that Jason Aaron's Thor was like happy-go-lucky, yeah. but this Thor, he feels mean. Yeah. He's like picking splinters out of his hand and like throwing them at you. <laughs> and he's like, you know pissed off perpetually and he's got a mug next to him at all times that he's not drinking in revelry he's drinking it right. in like with a scowl on his face yeah it's the perfect kind of like passing of the baton in a way because like that jason aaron story ends beautifully it ends exactly how jason aaron wanted it to end and then he passes that off to Donnie, and it's just like, of course, of course Thor would be annoyed by so much of this. Of course the responsibility and all of these things that you don't always associate with uh, the Odinson are going to kind of grind his gears a little bit. And it's about following that trajectory while also introducing so much of his own stuff. Really, while I was reading this, I was just like, how does Nick Klein do this? Yeah, it is. It is <laughs> what? a beautiful book. I, I, you know, to me, it's it's Nick and Matt working hand oh, in yeah, hand. Oh yeah, uh, there. I'm looking at a page which has. I'm also trying to not spoil. Yeah, this is one of you those. You know, there's there's a lot here that we've thankfully not explained a lot about what the story is up to this point. There's a character here that has a complex coloring system associated with their character, and there's 
just the facets to show you who this character is and then add on top of that the layers of color and beauty and and just dynamism springing forth in this issue it's it's great if if you've liked all the thor series that have come in the last seven years this doesn't negate them this just takes it in a new direction it brings something new to the table yeah. if you have not been reading thor but you're a donny cates fan or you're just a general like curious cat yes this is a book to get into there are going to be spoilers for this you should get in on this book from the start because from where it's going it only gets wild yeah and it only gets bigger and thor has a brand new costume in this uh series and there's a very specific reason for it which you find out in this issue mm -hmm. nice Okay, my last book that I'm covering this week is Web of Black Widow, number five. It's written by Jody Hauser with art by Stephen Mooney, colors by Triano Farrell, and letters by VCs Corey Pettit. This is the uh, last issue of this limited series that for me, once I read this, this issue, which has a bunch of great cameos from characters that are really cool to see and they bring a lot of power to this story, all led, of course, by the Black Widow. But looking at this series as a whole and seeing the moves that this issue makes and the way that it's all wrapped up, um, it's a really cool analysis of who this character is about kind of the trauma of this character's past, the position that this character holds amid the Marvel Universe, what makes her special, what holds her back, what propels her forward, um, and also kind of all couched in this like really cool, very stylized, shadowy, cool spy uh, aesthetic, which I just love. I'll, I'll read any book that does that. And I think as a huge fan of Jody Hauser, I, w I loved it. And then to see the art on this book as well is really cool. And uh, I really like a tight-knit story like this five-issue run has been. And if you are a fan of seeing Clint Barton laid out on a floor, <laughs> half unconscious, giving a thumbs up, <laughs> yeah. this is your book. <laughs> Last book of the week. And my second pick is X-Men. Number four, written by Jonathan Hickman, art by Laniel Francis Yu, inks by Jerry Alanguilan and Laniel, colors by Sonny Go, letters by VCs Clayton Cowles, and designed by Tom Muller. You know, one thing I didn't realize was this book was delayed a little bit. This was delayed by a couple of weeks. It was supposed to be released in December. I know this because I read this issue and I immediately went to Twitter and said, yo, X-Men number four is probably one of my favorite X-Men issues of all time. Hard stop, full truth. And I posted the cover and I said, I can't wait for you all to read it in January. Cause I knew it was for this week uh, that we're recording that it was coming out January 1st. I had so many people so hot being like, dude, real nice way to tease us. You're such a jerk. Da -da 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 -da. I didn't realize it was supposed to come out already. You know what, you guys? It is so worth the wait. I also posted the cover to this, which reminded me that every time we share something about a book, whether it's here on the podcast or on social media, it is someone's first experience with that particular comic or something in general. Because so many people are like, Apocalypse in a suit? I need this issue. They hadn't seen the cover already. And yes, Apocalypse is wearing a suit in this comic. <laughs> it's Apocalypse and Charles Xavier and Magneto going to like a exclusive world leader dinner to just talk, air out some 
things, talk about the future. There's a delegate from Wakanda. There's someone from Switzerland, someone from Brazil, India, Italy, U.S., China, and, uh, you know, Wakanda and the the three Krakoan delegates. It's World Economic Forum. There's even a dinner menu because, of course, Jonathan Hickman <laughs> is going to put together a dinner menu for this. I would love to know if anyone out there actually puts together this dinner. So the first course is watermelon gazpacho infused with habanero and poblano chilies. <laughs> then you get shredded kale, mushrooms, bacon, and parmesan. Then for the main course is olive wagyu from Kagawa Prefecture with col- Colbert sauce. <laughs> and I don't know if it's like Colbert or Colbert sauce or like I'm yeah. just imagining this is like a, hey, Stephen Colbert, you got your own <laughs> sauce in here. And then for dessert, brioche. Tresei de Metz. Uh, I'm butchering a lot of this, but if somebody cooks all of these, yeah. I'm going to hook you up. Give it, give that page to Justin Warner. What? Yes. With the universe. Done. Yeah. We need to do this. <laughs> yeah. um, and it, it's just great. You have them going to this dinner, and it's just tremendous. There's uh, a moment in here which our producer, Jorge, reminded me. They're getting settled. Apocalypse is in his big boy suit. They're all there. And there's one of the the delegates there says to Apocalypse, "Uh, thanks to you as well. Uh, Should I call you En Sabah or Mr. (laughs) Nur, perhaps? Apocalypse, drink in hand, says, I am Apocalypse. My other names are not fit for you to utter. Just <laughs> fire. It's so good. And you get moments like that throughout this issue. So the three of them, it's all conversation. They're going there doing their things. We also have Cyclops and the Gorgon basically being their bodyguards. And that is like, I could take a whole book that's just on that. I yeah. could take a whole book that's just on the conversation. It is so snappy perfect banter dialogue ideas movements it's so, like the solidification of mutant kind and the x-men in this new world order this feels like the perfect coming out party this mm-hmm. perfect issue to say this is what the x-men are now this is what mutant kind is doing going forward if you've not read an x-men book this is an issue i think you could just pick up and go oh snap i now have 40 other books I need to catch up on. Yeah. I loved House of X, loved Powers of Ten. That was all like building in my mind to moments like these, moments in Marauders, moments in X-Force that puts it in that real world tangible situation. And it's it's tremendous and it's funny. It's really, that's the thing I think Jonathan Hickman doesn't get enough credit for is being funny. He writes really funny moments and dialogue on top of the heady, weird stuff, on top of great action, it is just stellar. And at one point, Professor Xavier takes his helmet off, and Laniel Yu, it remind, it's almost like Ditko-esque, unnerving beauty. <laughs> you know, it's something that, like, you look at the panels of Xavier, and it's something special. This book is special to me. And it's I've liked X-Men, this new run. This is tremendous, beyond compare. Yeah, it's just an awesome week for Dawn of X in general. So much good stuff. So awesome. All right, going from individual issues on sale this week to collections on sale this week, we have 
Amazing Spider-Man by Nick Spencer, Volume 6, Absolute Carnage, Black Bolt, Black Cat, Volume 1, Grand Theft Marvel. Real quick, I want to point out Black Bolt and Black Cat, both must-haves. Yeah. If you've not read them, I think this is a new printing of Black Bolt. Right. That was great. Saladin Ahmed, Christian Ward. It's one of my favorite series we've done. Black Cat was one of our favorites of mm-hmm. 2019. And it is going to surprise a lot of readers by how much they're going to be like, oh, I love Felicia Hardy now. Yeah. Wow. I didn't realize I did. Yeah. Uh, We also have Conan Chronicles Epic Collection, The Battle of Shamla Pass, Conan, The Hour of the Dragon, Legends of Marvel, Spider-Man, Miles Morales, Volume 2, Bring on the Bad Guys, Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur, Full Moon, Oz, The Complete Collection, Wonderful Wizard, Marvelous Land. Those are drawn by Scotty Young, I believe, and they are tremendous for all ages. Eric Shanauer wrote these, and and Scotty drew them, and they are tremendous. I'm glad we're reprinting them again. Nice. And then we also have uh, Ultimate Spider-Man Collections, Volumes 1 through 5. Yes. On Marvel Unlimited, there's plenty of books for you to dig into. Fantastic Four, number 11. Uh, Major X, number 6. Final issue of that limited series. Uh, Mr. and Mrs. X, number 12, which was one of our beloveds when it was going on. Some cool Star Wars. War of the Realms, number 6. So you can read the entire core War of the Realms series now on Marvel Unlimited. And then 16 issues of the 1970s Captain Britain series. A bunch of them written by Chris Claremont. A bunch of them written by Gary Friedrich and art by Herb Trimp. So super cool. Hope you guys check that out. Oh, yeah. Uh, we do have a tweet in here coming from Steve Agnew at Viking Prince saying, hearing all the storylines across various titles by Donny Cates described as the, quote, Donnyverse makes me curious about what the creative retreats are like. It's a great question. Yeah. We've talked about them a couple times on the show. Picture, yeah. if you will. Yeah. A very large room with... Giant tables, like, outlining the room, chairs outside of that, giving an extra layer, mm-hmm. bodies filling every possible seat. Yeah. In the interior, you have 10 to 15 Marvel Comics writers. Then you have the entire, like, senior editorial staff. You have chief creative officers. You have, you know, s- just senior creatives for Marvel Comics and Marvel Publishing, mm-hmm. along with partners from Marvel Games or Marvel Licensing or, you know, Marvel New Media, whatever mm-hmm. it is. And they're all there for three days talking about the future of Marvel Comics. You know, CB, as our editor-in-chief, will start to say, okay, today we're going to talk about Avengers um, and some books out of that. We're going to talk about an event book. We're going to get new ideas. Every day is a little bit different. It shifts around. And often a, someone like Donnie or Jason Aaron or Jonathan Hickman will say, okay, here's what I'm planning to do with this book, or here's a pitch for a new book that I want to do. A lot of those types of ideas. And so you'll see and hear ideas spring forth in the room as creators pitch things. Someone else will be like, that's really cool. But what if yeah. da-da-da-da-da, and then you just watch right and go, all right, cool. And then, you know, go back and forth. Same time, you might have an Adam Kubert or an Umberto Ramos in the room sketching as well and being like, I would like to work on that book. Yeah. <laughs> I've, I've literally seen Umberto say that. I've seen Adam perk up and just be like, what are we? I want to do that book. <laughs> you know, things come to life in that room. Overall, this is 
one of my favorite things about working here is being able to sneak in, like I like I've said before, and just kind of hide in the back corner and and listen in, because you have these moments where a, a writer is pitching a, just an awesome story, and sometimes you know it'll go on for a while, and you're just right there with them, hearing all this story. It's so cool to hear it for the first time, and at times we're hearing about stuff that's not coming for three, four years uh, at least down the line. I remember years ago we were at another building. And Dan Slott pulled me, we were waiting for food or something, and Dan pitched me his entire Silver Surfer run. <laughs> this was like two years before, yeah. so he was doing Silver Surfer. He hadn't, like, he wasn't even really doing it to the room at that point, maybe. And I was like, Dan, that sounds great. He's like, yeah, I'm excited. And then, like, we just got food. Yeah. And so it, it, that's how it goes. Yeah. And and so there's those awesome story moments. My favorite moments, though, are the the moments of connection between the creatives in that room, because you'll have, like... You'll have, whether this is across like generations of comic creators or just different kinds of storytellers or whatever, you get moments of like Mark Wade talking to Dan Slott about ways that their books can connect and be like, oh, that character, they can pop up in this moment in my story. Or like this most recent one, I just remember this moment where like Jonathan Hickman was giving advice on a certain way to do something because he, you know, has written every single kind of comic around to Donnie Cates, you know what I mean? You just get these amazing moments where these creators are working together and having these moments of connection and, you know, being such fans of like these individual people and their work and then seeing them come together. It's really like, it's the all-star game. You know what I mean? It's so cool to see those things come together. And they like horse trade and you yeah. know, like, ooh, can I use that character from that book? It's like, okay, yeah, starting at this issue, this character status quo is going to be this. Don't touch them until then. But after that, yes, go to town with them. Or like Al Ewing will be like, well, you know, I can do this and yeah. set this whole thing up for you <laughs> yeah. in my book. And then someone's like, Great, that completely fixes everything I needed. It's yeah. wild. It's yeah. beautiful. There's I could we could do an entire episode about talking about these things just because there's so many cool dynamics. It's so cool. The best. So Steve, I hope that answered your question. Yeah, Steve. Yeah, thank you. And again, if y'all have questions, some comments, things you want us to address on the show, you can tweet us at HM at Tucker Marcus. Hashtag Marvel's pull list if you can. If you don't, we'll still get the tweets and yep. we'll share them and we'll put them in the show. Uh, this episode of Marvel's Pull List was produced by Jorge Estrado with help from MR Daniel. Our audio development manager is Lauren Wiener and Jill DeBoff is our director of audio. Feel good, Tucker. Yeah. 2020 is gonna be a year. Yeah, it's a great start. I'm Ryan. And I'm Tucker. This is Marvel. Your universe.